now rocking with Matt and Dez. Let's go. Welcome to the Matt and Dez Experience. Matt and Dez Gonzalez are the founders of Kingdom Culture Ministries, a nonprofit organization that specializes in training, consulting, and resourcing leaders. Join them as they talk about life, family, faith, and all things prophetic. Now let's get to today's episode of the Matt and Dez Experience. Hey guys, and welcome to the Matt and Dez Experience. I am your co-host, Matt Gonzalez. And I'm your other co-host, Desiree Gonzalez. And welcome to today's episode. On this episode, we have one of our great friends, Craig Ferris, on the show today. What is up, Craig? What is going on? Hey guys, a little bit about Craig. Craig is a Maxwell Certified Consultant and is also part of the Mission Church, part of the Prophetic Company, oversees the Prophetic Presbyters at the church, and it is an amazing thing he has going on. So can you just share a little bit about that, Craig? What is a prophetic presbyter? What a great question. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> uh, really, it's just people who have been recognized uh, by the mission or the prophetic company leadership as prophets or high prophetic, highly prophetic anointed people that uh, have been trusted with character and integrity that walk with the spirit of counsel and wisdom and are able to give uh, directive words to people of influence, whether that be in government education, uh, religion, each mountain. And so they're just trusted with that. So that's so you're actually overseeing teams that you're assembling of prophetic voices that will speak into different mountains of society and also speak into the lives of influencers. Yeah. So we get to we get to build teams um, and then we also get to train people on how to become part of a team, really lay a foundation for how other people can do that for themselves as well. Oh, come on. I got to tell you what, me and Des have been richly blessed by Craig. He has been one of the most accurate prophetic voices in our life. Some of the things that we're even walking in right now are the result of some of the prophetic uh, words that he's been that's been given to us. I remember when we first got here to Vacaville, one of the most strategic words you gave us is about the state of Texas. At this point, we had not had uh, we've never ministered in Texas, and all of a sudden, you said within this amount of time, doors are going to open, and it's going to be a lifelong connection to Texas. And literally that door opened and we've been going to Texas so, so many times now. And we've just fallen in love with Texas and the people of Texas and just some really key connections. And so, Craig, I just wanted to thank you for that because you have been a prophetic voice in our life. (laughs) And we love the nation of Texas. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, a lot of our listeners probably know who you are. But for those who don't, can you share with us how many children you have? (laughs) I have 12. Yes, you heard that right. He has 12. How do you have time for anything? That's what I want to know. Uh, they're all tied up in a closet right now. <laughs> no. Man, it, it must be really cold. It must get really cold here in Vacaville. That's a lot of cuddling. <laughs> <laughs> but on the real, your kids are so amazing. And all your older girls have all babysat our yes. kids at some point <laughs> or another. And they are just precious, the sweetest girls you'd ever meet and just amazing yes. love them well that is definitely uh, attributed to my wife and not to me <laughs> i won't try to take any credit for that at all i'm sure you have a little bit to do with it but yes we honor your wife she's incredible shout out to shannon what's up <laughs> so craig i know me you and des have been having this conversation and this is actually the uh theme for this episode today that god is the god of darkness 
Dun, dun, dun. So <laughs> that sounds interesting saying that because uh, many times in our uh, Christianity, we're taught that uh, God is light. We are the light of the world. Satan is, you know, uh, supposedly the prince of the power of the air and, and, and is over darkness. But then we see this in scripture, the other side of this, we actually see that Moses had to step into the darkness to encounter God. And then we also see that Satan was an angel of light. Huh, that sounds kind of confusing. So, Craig, let's let's just get this conversation started. What does it mean that God is the God of darkness? Well, I thought I knew what I would say to that before you gave that little intro. So now I'm confused as well. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> if you guys we could have, have seen fun. Matt's face on that one, that was perfect. He's like, oh, man, we just messed this up. <laughs> so <laughs> many years ago, I was at a youth camp. God asked me to walk out away from the group out into a certain spot in this field. And the further away I got from the torches and the generated lights, uh, it just got darker and darker and darker. And I didn't have a flashlight with me. And in the middle of this field, I heard God say, I'm the God of darkness. And... And so I've just kind of held on to that since then. And then as I've gone on, I've started recognizing that even in Scripture, in Genesis, it was in the void, in the darkness, that God spoke light. Wow. So he was the God of the darkness before there was creation. And we've attributed something to darkness uh, because of a feeling or a sense. And it was a way that we've used language uh, to talk about darkness is that we attribute it to evil or things we don't understand or things we can't comprehend because we can't see it we can't touch it because we're not sure it's a it's an unknown and man has always feared the unknown but what i would suggest is that the god of the darkness is ever present even in the places where you feel that there's attacks or that it's a place of loneliness or seclusion that he doesn't disappear that he's still ever present in that time and in those moments and it's up to us to not just rely upon our sight but to begin to activate our other senses so that we can hear him and recognize his presence even in the darkness wow that's such a great explanation i have a question for you because a lot of times just in my personal life I know like there can be a place where you feel like there's warfare or attacks, you know, and you know, it's the enemy. Right. But also I have seen when after I come out of that place and I come out on the other side, looking back, I realized, wow, I came out better. I came out with a greater understanding of who I am. I came out with more authority and more, um, you know, revelation of even who the father is. And so what would you say to the person who feels like they're in that place right now? They're under attack. They're in warfare. They're, you know, feel like there's chaos all around them. Could you give us just some insider wisdom? What practically we can do when we're in that place? Wow, that's a good one. Uh, one of the things I would say is we call on the Lord of the breakthrough. David, I, I just talked about this recently, where David, once he felt he established his kingdom, uh, the Philistines heard that he was now anointed king and they came to kill him. In that moment, he ran for the stronghold to hide. And it was in that place he reconnected to God and said, God, do I go fight and will I win? And God said, you will fight and you will win. One of the interesting things is the Philistines actually camped at Rapham. Rapham actually means giant. So David went back to the days of his beginning in order to actually establish who he was created to be, which was king. He had to once again face the giant. Uh, the other thing is, is that place, they camped at the Valley of Rapham, which is giant. But David also was in Baal Perazim, which means Lord of the Breakthrough. 
David did not allow the Philistines to claim the Lord of the Breakthrough. He redeemed the name Bel Perazim for himself and talked to the true one true God, Jehovah, and said, I need you to be Bel Perazim. I need you to respond as the Lord of the Breakthrough. Mm. And so when you're in those places of darkness, you look for the Lord of the Breakthrough. Um, and the other thing is, is you do not allow the enemy ever to dictate to you the name of a place. So even though it feels like darkness, you do not allow them to claim that. You say, my God is the God of the darkness. I claim his presence to be around me. And I ask the Lord of the breakthrough to bring me through to the other side. Wow. <laughs> yes. So good. That is so good. I mean, you could even say it this way. I mean, the whole encounter that Moses had, he couldn't come into glory until he first stepped into darkness. Right. I mean... Where else would he go? Where else on planet Earth could he go that the glory would not destroy everything else? God took him to a place far away from everyone else, hid him in the in the mountain, so that God could attempt to give him pieces of himself, but Moses wouldn't be satisfied until he saw his glory. He said, I want to see. And so in that place of darkness, in God's presence, it surrounded him in that place. God was releasing it. But it wasn't until Moses said, I have to see, you must show me, this is the place. So it's in the place of darkness that we have the greatest revelation of who God is. That's so good. Because even, even, that, even in that passage, it says when Moses asked to see God's glory, it says that God poured out all his goodness. Right. So that is very interesting that even in the midst of walking in to the darkness, he found glory and the glory was the goodness of God. Right. <laughs> I mean, you could even take that even a step further. It says that the whole earth is full of his glory. It was in that place that Moses began to recognize God's presence throughout the earth. So good. So I want you to expound just a little bit. As we were talking, you had said this. You said this quote, even the earth, when it's in its dark, it's in the dark that people look for something to hold on to and become desperate for the light switch. What do you mean by that? This is where I go when I hear people talk about California or our nation. Hmm. I actually oh get... Oh boy, here we go. I hear the can open opening. It. Yeah. Open this it. Is, this, is, <laughs> this is where we have our experience, ladies and gentlemen. Either you're going to have one and yell at me, or you're going to have a great one and thank Jesus that he's amazing. <laughs> e either way, it works out exactly how we planned it. Um, it's, it's in this place right now where we are as a state and as a nation that people in every realm are saying we're at the darkest point in history. They keep saying that there's one side that's saying that this is the worst president ever. And there's the other side saying that these are the worst liberals ever. But this is where we want to be. This is where people are clamoring, screaming, and crying out, would someone please bring a solution? Well, guess what? I'm the solution. You are the solution. Come on. That's all they're asking for. They're asking for you. They're asking for me to stand up and declare the word of the Lord in the moment with the necessary strategies and solution to solve the problems for education, for our government, for every area in business. Men are, men are clamoring in the U.S. right now. What are the tariffs? What are we going to do? How do we do this? How, how do we beat China? How do we beat what they're doing in Korea. And I'm telling you that there is someone who's been given a God-given strategy. And I wouldn't be surprised if businesses are inundated with strategies from dreams that they begin to come forward and say, I, I believe I have an idea that can bring a solution. But if I came to a man with a dream five years ago, they probably wouldn't listen. They'd throw it away. But the darker it gets, the easier it is for a light to shine. And so people are now hungry and clamoring 
for where is the light? Because they can't recognize that in the darkness is God's presence. They only know it as an area of discombobulation. And so when you walk into the darkness in that place, understanding that God is the God of the darkness and I am the light he sent in to represent him, it's in that place that they recognize that you are the solution that they've been asking for. And it doesn't matter if you're saying it's from Jesus himself, they'll take it. That's so good. Wow. You know, I was reading Daniel the other day and it just everything you just said just reminds me of that passage that I was reading because Daniel, he was that. You know, there was some of the darkest times, you know, under, I mean, he served under several kings, but I could have related what you just said to where they were at in the time of Daniel. And and they went and sought him out because they recognized that he had what they needed, you know, and it was powerful because once he brought it, it was like all he did was interpret a dream or interpret a vision. And then all of a sudden the king's heart would turn and begin to praise the God of all gods, you know, our Lord. And so it was only through that one interpretation that it shifted the king's heart and ultimately the nation. This is crazy because it's so interesting. Everybody wants to be a modern day Daniel or modern day Esther. But if you look at the context of Daniel, it talk, you were talking about dark time in California. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was dark. Not only was his family killed, not only was he castrated. I mean, just think of all the stuff that he had to go through. To but the fiery yet, furnace, the the lion's den. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of intense stuff. Yeah, I mean, we we don't we don't know the whole background many times of what Daniel had to go through, but yet he loved this evil king. I mean, that, that blows me away that this guy had the fortitude, that Daniel had the fortitude to be light in the midst of darkness, but not actually run from the darkness or just like give up. I mean, and it, it just makes me think, Craig, when you were saying this, it's in the mix of darkness or resistance that problems arise and we can never be a solution unless there's a problem present. Even as you guys are talking, if we begin, if we were truly honest with ourselves, we would recognize what we've experienced as hardship or it doesn't compare. So this is our time. This is where this is where we can change the tide. It's dark enough that people are crying out for answers, but it's not dark enough that we're seeing persecution or being pushed to the side. We're seeing combat to our ideology. We're seeing combat. The enemy is, has already tipped his hand. He's notorious for that. Ask Jesus when he was tempted. The enemy tipped his hand. And even like Des was saying earlier about how she comes out of a struggle better, stronger in her identity. The enemy tipped his hand when he tempted Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus came out exactly who he was supposed to be. And so we're at that tipping point right now in America that the enemy has tipped his hand. He's pushed all in on specific agendas to come against the kingdom. And that's still at this point. All it's done is created the opportunity for us to rise up and be solutions. It hasn't caused us to be put into prison. It hasn't caused us to be tortured or ripped from our families. We have the opportunity in the midst of this to rise up and be the answer without ever losing what God created our country to be. (laughs) That is so good. I have this saying, and it's very interesting because we're kind of talking about this topic, God of the darkness, but we've kind of even talked about that we are the solution to darkness. And I think one of the things that happens is that we're so used to being light in the midst of light that we don't increase our ability to receive revelation and wisdom and insight because unless you have a problem or unless you're being provoked, then you're not going to grow. And so I have this whole, this whole thing. The only way to increase the way you think is to have someone provoke you. 
but it's hard to get provoked when we're always around light. And it just interests because, you know, he said we're the light of the world. He didn't say the light of the church. And so many times we try to shine the brightest within a church context. And what happens because we are not in darkness, we're trying to outshine one another. And I, I like to propose that if we are going to increase the way we think, we have to have someone provoke us because the provokers aren't there to destroy you, but they're there to grow you. And I believe part of the nature of the world is to help grow us in their provoke and and their provocation towards us. But yet when we don't know how to handle that, it's like we get upset, we get mad, and we it's like we 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 want to pick it, we want to riot, but we don't want to get smarter. We don't want to increase our thinking because we we've had a different perspective. I mean, what, what do you think about that, Craig? Well, I don't get mad at my 2-year-old for spilling her drink cuz she's 2. <laughs> so why would I ever yell at somebody who doesn't know Jesus for acting like they don't know Jesus? Snap, mic drop. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's that's where we're at right now. Is we as the church, even as you're talking about trying to outshine each other, didn't Paul say, "Don't become a stumbling block for your brother"? Mm. Well, is that I would I would imagine and propose that's what he was talking about. It's in the context that we're not going outside of the four walls, so we create an era of competition and offense. And it's in that place that we forget that kids are kids and people that don't know Jesus are going to act like they don't know Jesus because we all are acting like Jesus, except we're not. We're challenging each other. We're pushing each other, but we're not iron sharpens iron. We're actually trying to take someone's spot. We're all competing for the same pulpit. Yeah. And so realistically, we need to begin to recognize that your pulpit is where you're at. Leadership is influence and I have influence on my job. I may not ever take a pulpit in a church, but I have a pulpit every day when I go to my cubicle. That's so good. I think we have to learn how to think, how to use our brain. We have to become thinkers because thinkers are not stopped by problems. They actually grow from them. And, I, and I'm, I'm thinking about every, I mean, if you think about even our campus ministry days, babe. Yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't until we had a problem that it caused us to have to think to rise up and, and actually get a solution. Well, you know, I'm thinking specifically, we had a huge Wiccan um, culture on our campus, and there was a lot of people who were self-proclaimed Wiccans or warlocks or, um, you know, self-proclaimed. And we actually had this lounge that they all congregated to, and it wasn't until we received, I feel like, some provocation that was really set up from the Lord from that group that we begin to see breakthrough in that area because it would be really easy for us to go and have our service and in our our lounge they have their own lounge and you know let's just have our cute christian club and sing a few worship songs and never see the culture transform like that's not why we were there and so we would go specifically into where they were at and not to provoke them to like agree with us. No, it was just like, okay, Lord, let your light shine through us. And there was so many divine setups. We saw people get saved and come out of that lifestyle. The head Satanist on campus through a series of events ended up getting saved. And and we took action and not just via that, but we would do prayer walks and we would we went into the territory on purpose. <laughs> but we didn't go into the territory to the riot. I mean, the, the, right. actual, the actually man you're talking about, his name was Peaches. And I remember I was actually standing at a um, dispensing machine yeah. and um, I was there and I remember seeing him there and he was looking at, at the at the machine and all of a sudden I got a word of knowledge and I heard the Lord say he likes he or he loves chocolate milk. I heard the Lord said he loves chocolate milk. And then I felt like, oh, wow, I need to buy him some chocolate milk. So I bought him three cartons of chocolate milk, gave it to him. And I go, here, man. 
And he goes, I love chocolate milk. How do you know? How did you know that? And I go, hey, you know what? God loves you, man. And I just gave it to him. I remember giving it to him. He goes, this is the nicest thing someone's ever done for me. Let me give a little backstory to that because he was, this was the self-proclaimed Satanist we're talking about. And not too long before this encounter that Matt had with him, we had done an open air outreach and we would, we did this a few times on campus. And I feel like to this day, it was the most incredible event outreach I've ever been a part of. We would do an Easter outreach, but we would um, do a whole reenactment of the crucifixion scene. And we would, you know, do the the makeup, the Hollywood makeup on Jesus, the whole, the the Roman soldier costumes, like the whole getup. Like it was, it looked professional in my opinion. And we would not, promote it at all and so when comes times you know class gets let out we would go through go all the way through the campus through the quad and just begin to do the whole reenactment and you would hear you know the crowd crucify him and we would have probably about like 50 people a part of this outreach so it was like you obviously it was noticeable and within seconds you would look around first people thought it was a fight and they would come rushing around and then they realized what was happening and they would see jesus carrying the cross i mean instantly you would just see people bawling and just crying and we it was um people would just congregate and and what happened was jesus is carrying his cross through the crowd and through the quad and all of a sudden this this man peaches the satanist comes up and socks jesus in the face as hard as he could and jesus fell i mean you know the person playing jesus um uh, <laughs> fell and dropped the cross and then all of a sudden here comes the football players they see what happens and they're like you don't bleep 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 hit jesus what's wrong with oh, you man, it, was about it literally riot. almost started a riot it was i mean looking back it was it was kind of funny but <laughs> <laughs> But then someone broke it up and we ended up, you know, just moving on with the outreach and Jesus just brushed it off. He said he didn't even feel it. And so this, I just wanted to put that backdrop because here he is, Here's a, he was provoking us to respond, right? He was provoking, like, what are you going to do now? And so then Matt has this personal encounter with him within, a, I, don't, I don't know how, what the timeline was, but I think it was, it was in, like three months. Yeah. Within months of that outreach and that had happened, Matt was able to have this personal encounter with him where he saw his heart. It wasn't just like, bam, believe what we believe. That's That w- wasn't, you know, obviously what we were trying to do. But we found out, like, not even six months after Matt had given him this milk, he got saved. Um, and, Stepped into a church. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously, I feel like that that played a part in it. And, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, all of the resentment, all of the anger he had toward the church, who knows? Like, maybe that was the thing that was needed to break all that so that he could you know, step into that. I, well, I found some of the backstory out. Some of the backstories when he was in high school, he had some uh, people beat him up and jump him and some of them were Christians. Mm. And so that's kind of the backstory and backdrop on that. So that's pretty interesting. Those Christians. <laughs> you can't beat up somebody in the church, you go outside. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So, sorry, that was out loud. So, so, so Craig, on this topic, I mean, this is just, you got my mind going and uh, I just, I just feel the presence got so strong. What, are, what are some keys that you could actually drop to people on how they can begin to shift their mindset into this? One, one of the things is you just be intentional. Mm. Uh, one of the things I actually I did for a while is I would actually wait till nighttime, turn off all the lights in a room, and go stand in the middle of it. And I would I would say because it was funny growing up, I was actually scared of the dark. Um, I was scared of the dark till I was way too old to be scared of the dark, probably till I was about 14, 15. Um, and so as I started doing this, I started practicing, hey, God, I just want to invite you into the darkness and show me what it's like 
to spend time with the God of darkness. And so one of the keys is just to be intentional. So good. Um, the other thing is, is, is walking into places. Now I don't encourage you to walk into a Wiccan homestead, but you know, <laughs> you, you pick places that in your heart, you go, that's a dark place. Mm. And I would, I've picked places that I would, other people would say is a dark place and I would walk in and I wouldn't go to provoke, even though there's times of provocation, I would go in with the heart that I just want to see God's presence. Now, it doesn't matter what happens in that place. I have no intention of trying to change anybody, see anybody saved. My entire intention is to see that a place that I believe to be darkness become light because of his presence. So good. And so in those moments when I see darkness as a place of the enemy, I'll be intentional to go in there and go, no, I'm a light. I bring light. And so in that place, I change that darkness to light. So that's another key is that I recognize that darkness can't just be ground that I allow the enemy to hold. So I go in, I practice being there, being in God's presence. A lot of times, you know, you just find stores that are like that. There's stores or establishments or bars or the places that Jesus would actually go if he was here. You know, he didn't spend a lot of time with the people in church. He spent a whole lot more time out on the streets and in people's houses. So you look for the places that we were trained as kids not to go from church, and you go there, and then you experience God in those places. So those are a couple of keys that I would say is just being in a place of intentionality. So you just want to, the other key that you want to look for is in Scripture. You start reading Scripture and looking for the places that you would never expect God to arrive. I mean, we always look at places like Gideon hiding in the wine press and going, what, what's he doing? Like, why? That's amazing that God would find him there. Uh, but how many times do we think about the people that Jesus picked and where he had to go to get them? Where did he find a tax collector? Where did he find these fishermen? Wow. I mean, you think about where he went to pick the 12 people that he had. Um, it probably wasn't in the synagogue. So when you do that, you begin to recognize that Jesus had no fear of darkness and that he recognized everywhere he went his father was. Um, and so anywhere people said the enemy lived, he would take that ground. And then it's just being intentional to recognize once that ground's taken, the light's not any different. It may still be in a place where naturally it's dark or spiritually there is a, an edge of darkness, but God is still God and he's Come still on. present. Man, I smell barbecue roasting them sacred cows <laughs> you know what i love about what you you shared is you know i always look for activation or keys that can work across the board not just as a mature adult but also with my children and my kids and i was remembering the first key that you gave a good friend of ours his son was afraid of the dark and what he did he went into the closet shut all the lights out sat with him and basically did the same thing that you just said and said hey Let's find God right now and let's see what he's doing and ask him what he's doing while we're sitting in the dark. And it actually broke fear off him. And I thought that's such a good activation. You could even do with your children, especially those who are afraid of the dark, is be present with them in the dark and helping them to find God within the dark. I mean, that that is amazing. That is so, so good. And then the second key you said was actually a core value of ours. We did training uh, for our, our, our student leaders on the college campus and then later 
on in our school ministry is that we would actually take them to dark places so they could learn how to shift the atmosphere. And I, lo- I like to say it this way, we focus so much on shifting atmosphere, but we don't focus on how to carry an atmosphere. And unless you learn how to carry an atmosphere, it's going to be hard to shift an atmosphere. And so that's what it was all about. It wasn't even so much shifting, even though we that was the mature part we taught them. But the first part was learning how to stand in darkness to recognize the atmosphere on you and in you. Because I think that's what happens many times with believers is that they get into a place that's outside their comfort zone, that's outside a church, that's outside, it's, it's deemed darkness, and they lose sight of God. They lose sight of God on them and in them so they can't shift anything. And unless we can be in those places and come to an awareness that He's still on me and in me and be able to find that place, we're not going to be able to push it out. Well, if you want to talk about real practical keys and you want to hit really home, is that's where it starts. Shifting atmospheres is at home. There's no stronger place to practice God of the darkness than in your own home. Um, It's there that you learn what it is to set an atmosphere. I mean, if anybody's ever had a teenager, (laughs) they recognize a teenager turns or has the capability of turning a house upside down if you do not know how to set an atmosphere. Uh, Their emotional swings, the things that they're dealing with, all of the the different you guys get it it's a teenager yep (laughs) if you don't learn how to set an atmosphere and carry an atmosphere you will allow in your own home a teenager to turn that upside down i mean how many people have ever had an argument with their spouse i'm sure you guys have never argued so that i mean this is Uh, foreign territory for you guys never (laughs) that's i mean i've seen you guys in action there's no way you guys have ever acted (laughs) Neither one of you guys have ever acted out against each other. So this is foreign territory. I'll talk to the people that are listening. I'll admit it. I've argued with my wife. I've lost everyone. Never never really admitted to it at first. Um, But it's in that place that you have every capability of setting and shifting atmospheres. Because you're either going to set an atmosphere that you guys have to live in until you figure out how to make amends. But even in the making amends, if you do not carry an atmosphere, that atmosphere hangs until the next argument. You leave something in the air. So it's at home that you really have the practical keys and the ability to practice. So don't practice arguing, <laughs> but, <laughs> but practice setting the atmosphere that in those moments where you would have argued, you don't. Wow. 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 So we're talking about the God of the darkness and uh, this has just been so amazing. So, um, Craig, any other keys or any other things that you want to speak into on this episode before we bring it to an end? The last thing I would tell you is uh, when Jesus was crucified, before he was resurrected, it says he went into Sheol, into the bowels. Everybody believes that's the place of greatest darkness of that time. Uh, Jesus went there not just to save lives, but to reclaim the darkness. So... As you guys think about this, remember, we're not just going into places of darkness to reclaim souls, but to reclaim that territory. Wow. So good. Dude, I I have to process all this. (laughs) It was so good, Craig. It was so good. This is fire. So, Craig, how can uh, the person listening right now actually get a hold of you or get in contact with you for consulting or just any of your ministry info? I would move to Vacaville, California and start attending the Mission Church. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You guys can find me on Facebook. It's uh, Craig D. Ferris. Or uh, you guys can go to my website, which is the same thing, craigdferris.com. I dare you to come find me. We'll see what we can do. Maybe we'll walk into some darkness together and practice. Come on. Craig also does prophetic consultants. So if you're looking for consultant, 
Prophetic Consultant for your business or as an individual, you can check him out on his website or his Facebook. So we just want to thank you so much, Craig, for coming on and having a great conversation and challenging us and challenging our listeners. It was a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Craig. And thank you for joining us today on the Matt and Des Experience. Until next time, we're out. Be blessed. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode of the Matt and Des Experience. This podcast exists to inspire and motivate you to transform the world around you. Continue the journey with Matt and Des Gonzalez by liking them on Facebook and checking out mattanddes.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast.